0: Hello and welcome to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. I'm your host Randy, and in this cafe, we embrace newcomers and experts alike to all things web3, crypto, NFTs, metaverse, everything that is coming down the pipe with innovation and this new era of the internet. I'm so excited about today's guest who is the co-founder and CEO of DazzleShip, a next-generation platform that is revolutionizing decentralized technology. Matt Mason, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Uh,
0: likewise. And uh, I I didn't know that we were just like a hop, skip and a jump away from each other in real life. Otherwise, I would have suggested meeting up in an actual cafe instead of just a, a, an audio one. But um, what <laughs> if we were together, uh, where would we be and, and what would you be drinking in the cafe? Set the scene.
1: That's a great, that's a great question. I'd probably be drinking tea. I'm definitely a cliche Brit. I'm afraid I'm, da- I'm down <laughs> to about 40 cups a day. So it's under control. It's fine. But yeah, probably, probably be drinking a tea.
0: Ah, uh, I love it. You know, that that's, that's a very wholesome answer. That's okay. I, I was, I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, so tell us about your journey into Web3. Well, maybe even before that, like, what what who was web two matt and then like how did you get into web three
1: yeah it's a a great question i think um you probably probably have to go back to web zero matt uh for (laughs) like where i sort of i've long been fascinated with the the power of distributed technology um and kind of how it impacts culture and that for me that started i grew up in london um listening to pirate radio stations
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, these all these illegal, tiny little radio stations popping up all over London. It's something you know that happens to this day all over the world, all over Europe, South America. People just put put scaffolding poles or antenna up, um, you know, duct tape to the top of a tall building and broadcast music. And it happens all over the world. And it was something that in London growing up as a kid, we we saw inside entire kind of subcultures be birthed because they were. Forming on these pirate radio stations. And I wasn't thinking about this as, oh my gosh, distributed technology or, or went free or anything like that, obviously. But what was very clear to me was when you push creativity to the edge um, and it's it's not centralized this way, really cool stuff can happen. So in my teens, I started DJing on pirate radio and was just always fascinated with the business side of, of, of the equation. Like the, I played on one of the largest pirate radio stations in London um every weekend the police were out trying to catch us and we had you know different antennas on different tower blocks so if they found one we'd just switch to another it was a sort of game of cat and mouse um and the police were trying to catch us but because we had such a large audience they also used to pay us to advertise with us (laughs) and so did all the major record labels even though we weren't paying to play their songs on the radio because they, they understood the power that we had to break records and to create culture and to to really grow the British music industry. So you, you know, that those dynamics to me, that was really, really powerful information to get um as a kid, just in sort of like how does the world work? And you know, when, you know, when should when should you think about sort of colouring outside the lines and, and when does it make sense to distribute things? Um so for me that was a sort of start and um I ended up, when I was 23, being part of the founding team of a new magazine called RWD, which was a music magazine documenting all all of the culture that we were growing on pirate radio at the time, so stuff like grime and dubstep. Um, And and it was probably, it was really sort of the first time I think multicultural Britain sort saw itself um, reflected in a magazine in that way. And we got very lucky with it. It was the right thing at the right time. And it grew into the largest magazine in the UK. Um, and and after after rewinds, um, I ended up writing a book about how do you think about sort of piracy and decentralized culture as sort of a strategic from a strategic lens like how do you think about growing things this way in a, in a deliberate way um and i you know that was sort of 2008 it was right at the sort of height of the piracy debate. Um, and that, that did well. I toured with that book for three years. Um, and that led me to joining a company called Bitshorrent, um, which we all know, like, you know, the, the sort of mm. file sharing, piracy, heyday, it was, it was the big bad wolf. But really, BitTorrent was, the, it's still the world's most, most, um, you know, distributed, distributed technology. It's been downloaded onto billions and billions of machines. It was 30% of all the internet traffic in the world at one point. Um, but I saw the world's lar- largest pirate radio station and I joined BitTorrent uh, as chief content officer and head of marketing um, to really help artists and filmmakers and creatives actually use the tech um, to distribute their work in a, you know, legal license way to, to monetize their work. Um, and, and, and that was really, really interesting. So there's been several of these sort of aha moments for me with with Web3 um, and have been able to sort of advocate for distributed tech with a lot of different creative communities over my over my career both at the studios and the labels and um lots of other places too but um you know one of the big blockers for us at BitTorrent was was micropayments and obviously we were all very interested in um in crypto as it was emerging at the time you know it was so BitTorrent and Bitcoin was so aligned um and and definitely Bram's work at BitTorrent inf- influenced um you know Satoshi's white paper so we were all very 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 yeah. sort of clued into that and, and thinking about that. So I went down that rabbit hole and I ran a game studio in, um, in LA for Sony pictures and GSN for a few years, but I was really, really getting deep into crypto and ended up joining Kraken, uh, the crypto exchange as, as their first CMO. Cause I wanted to help scale micropayments and, and really thinking about how do we do these things for artists. And so, you know, I joined Kraken, amazing platform, amazing team, Um, I, was a bit of a fish out of water, you know, I was not, my, my background is not, is the furthest thing possible from wall street or trading. Um, and there was a lot, I just was like, I don't, I don't get this, or this isn't going to help us scale crypto. It's too, it's too complicated. Um, and that was sort of a daily thing. I was thinking about all the things we were doing. And one day we, we spoke to the team, um, behind crypto kitties that ended up forming dapper labs after that, who also created the ERC. 721 token and when i saw CryptoKitties, i think that was my aha moment for web3 when i saw and understood what an nft was um crypto kitties you know that i think it was the third the third collection ever of nfts behind creeps and weirdos and CryptoPunks. um i i just sort of got it it was like this is this is going to be as important for distributed tech and for web3 as the mp3 was for the personal computer like this is the thing that puts crypto into the context of culture and is going to let regular people understand it um you know these are social objects you can own them you can bootstrap communities you can use blockchain as a creative medium Like this is amazing um and and i've sort of been in the nft space ever since you know it's i think we got a bit over excited about them in 2021 and First half of 22, and it's been a rough year in the market, but I still believe that. I think, you know, NFTs will just be embedded in culture and commerce everywhere. Um, We'll probably have stopped calling them NFTs by then. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm really into this idea of of them being the kind of the social fabric of the metaverse.
0: Mm, I love it. Okay, there's so many things that I wanna double click on because I, I knew that you kind of had this like secret rebel background. Not so secret, <laughs> but I but it's so exciting. So first of all, does does pirate radio still exist or like in what form or who's who's like driving culture today?
1: Yeah, I'm pirate radio definitely still exists. Um it still exists in London, it still exists in a lot of places around the world. Um I think a lot of the places where it exists now, um it coexists at, with with the internet and with all of the amazing platforms on, on web 2 that that were built that, that just make things easier. Like it's really hard work to put a construction pole on top of uh you know a council housing block in the middle of London on a rainy Wednesday night and then and then hide the transmitter in a safe that you have hidden in the lift shaft like these are not easy things to do it's much easier to start a youtube channel or a tiktok or an instagram um so we have these platforms now like when i was growing up there was not there was no way to broadcast or microcast um to to a community that you were part of it just there was no way to do this except pirate radio Pi Radio still exists now, I think, because people have FM radios in cars still. Um, in the UK, that's still an important thing. Um, but but it's definitely smaller and the sort of the entire economy has changed around it. Like y- there's so many other ways to go and make money that people do it a little bit less, but it, it, it's sort of it's been going on in the uk since the 50s since r- like rock and roll only scaled in europe because of yeah. pirate radio stations wow and okay. so it's more of this like rite of passage that people feel like no i get to put i get to go and do this like some kids like myself just grew up thinking like i, I wasn't a bad kid i got good grades at school i was never in trouble i didn't do drugs but i was like i have to go and do this and it's not it doesn't even really cross my mind that this is breaking the law but this is just this is additive to our culture like i ha- i have to do this and i think people still feel that
0: for sure okay so i feel like you can't just like drop like the police chasing you or like hiding antennas in safes like you can't just drop that in without at least telling us one good story
1: yeah you know what pirate radio sounds really ex- it sounds so it exciting. does it does
0: sound exciting like you're the literal closest <laughs> to a real pirate that i've ever met so i need i need like at least one good story out of this
1: well, it's, you know what, the, 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 <laughs> the funny thing about pirate radio is how quiet you have to be. Like if you turn on a pirate radio station, it sounds like the craziest part you've ever heard. Like the MC is shouting, there's all this bassy music being played and the phone's going off and people are rewinding records again and again and again. Um, but all of this is happening at very low volumes in, you know, usually it's like a squat or an empty flat in a tower block. Um, I remember one time we had the studio set up in, I guess it was kind of like a a closet with like an old boiler in it. It wasn't even in someone's house. It was kind of in the stairwell of this tower block. And you had to be so quiet going in there and then lock the door behind you. And you were like, it was like you were in a little broom cupboard. Um, but then on the radio, you turn it on, you have to sound like you're at Madison Square Garden. You know, it has to sound amazing. So there's this whole kind of, there's this whole kind of, you know, showmanship to it. Um, I think the first time I did a pirate radio show, I was so nervous. Um, and the the DJ on after me was this really big DJ in the UK and he had this really big MC with him. And I was I was really nervous, um, but I didn't know I had to wait for them. Um, like there was an ad break between my show and theirs. And I thought, I've just got to get out of the studio as quickly as possible, because the rest of the guys on the station told me, like, be quiet, get in and out you know, don't look like you're a DJ, don't have your headphones on your head, don't have your bag of records or whatever. So I left the studio really quickly. And the door locked behind me. And I didn't know that I was supposed to let the next DJ in. (laughs) And the radio station, it was just dead air for three hours. Uh, But luckily, they let me come back the next week. And I never, ever, ever did that again.
0: Okay, that's that's a great story that that exceeded my expectations. So thank you. We are here in the crypto cafe with Matt Mason of Dazzle Ship. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, and uh, Matt. So tell us about everything that you're building now with Dazzle Ship and what you're excited about.
1: Yeah, so Dazzle Ship is, um, and it's hard. It's a it's a metaverse studio, and we we set up Dazzle Ship to really deliver on the promise of the metaverse um and this is sort of you know it it definitely links back to sort of everything everything I've been thinking about with culture and with pirate radio um so we we started the company um it was a, a one of the guys I founded rewind magazine with um became a very very successful crypto artist called Vector Meldrew um he's he's licensed you know, he's, he's sold out collections on every major NFT platform. He's done auctions at Bonhams. Uh, he, he's done a ton of stuff in the crypto space, and he and I have stayed friends. And we we've been working on stuff for sort of years. You know, while I was doing other stuff, he's just one of these people. Like he's a creative collaborator that I that I'm always trying to do stuff with. And we were working on this story called Broadside, which was about what happens when piracy scales in the future and Mm -hmm. distributed tech scales. Um, And it was initially a story that um, Penguin in the US asked me to write after my book as a short story for a book of short stories that sort of ended up not coming out. Um, But I love the idea of, well, this is, you know, if you imagine like 3D printing scales and recycling gets to 100% efficiency and solar panels get to 100% efficiency. If you imagine free physical stuff, and almost free energy and abundance and scarcity kind of flipping the way they did with music and MP3s, but in the real world, that's a cool story. And that's a really interesting dilemma to unpack. So that was the sort of story we wrote. It was about this group of kids playing an AR game called Broadside. And um, we, we wanted to tell this story about this group of kids sort of collectively um, and we could never, like the short story didn't come out. And then it was in development at DreamWorks as a movie for some time. And then they're like, look, we don't really understand what a decentralized hero is. And this is very, very heady. And you're not James Cameron. And it's going to cost us $300 million to make this. And then, you know, which were all great points, a fair point. So Broadside sort of ended up on these, it was just a, like this idea that we had. It was like, this, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Like put it in the drawer with all of the other ideas that are never going to happen, which every creative person has um, and and then when NFTs came around, Vector hit me up. And he's like, "Hey, look, this is this is the right medium to do broadside. Like, we can do a distributed hero. We can do like a collection of seven thousand heroes all having this, all participating in this story together, and we can start playing with the economics of that, do some crazy stuff." So we started thinking about doing that. Um, you know, in, in the meantime, he's he's getting very busy. I was helping stand up a company called Palm NFT Studio. um, And we did some really big NFT projects there. We did the currency with Damien Hirst. We built DC Comics NFT platform. Um, So we were both really busy, but then when the market started to dip last year, um, Vector hit me up and said, hey, look, it's time to do broadside. Like the, the market's down. We won't make nearly as much money as we would have made if we did it in 2021 but we'll get the right people we'll get real fans who care about the idea of a storytelling nft and a distributed a distributed story like we'll get the people that really want to build with us if we do this now um, and I, and i love that idea so it was um you know kind of last summer we started actually building a collection and sort of, you know reengineering the story around this collection and designing the tokenomics of it all we, we partnered up with OpenSea, we took over OpenSea, November 15th, and Broadside sold out, you know, right in the middle of crypto winter in a few hours, in less than a day. Um, and it's just been this kind of wild ride ever since. So, but for our, both of us, it was always like, this is going to be a side project. Um, but we gave holders of Broadside uh, avatars, there's 7,000 different avatars in the collection. We gave each holder full commercial rights to their characters, um, and to certain elements of the story world, knowing full well they'd go and do things that, that we hadn't thought about. What we weren't prepared for was, you know, we, we knew they are going to do T-shirts and and go and do all kinds of memes and all kinds of stuff, which they've done amazingly well. What we weren't prepared for was how quickly this community would pivot into the metaverse. Um, but like it, the collection launched in in November, by December the community had built themselves. A rave warehouse where you could also play the broadside game um in the metaverse and by january that space was the most visited place in the metaverse and when vector and i saw this we were we were just it, it took us back to when we started at rewind like he's been building um an animation studio in the uk for the last decade or so working on AAA games i've been working in crypto and gaming and we've done all this stuff but we were, we were transported back when we saw what was going on in the, this broadside rave warehouse. It took us back to sort of the early days of dubstep, which we, we were in the room when dubstep was literally 50 people on a Monday night in London, getting together every week to listen to this really weird form of music that they everybody in the room assumed the rest of the world, the rest of London would never care about, much less the world. And we watched and we were sort of there and part of that as it scaled into this global movement. And so when we saw this broadside community getting together every week in this in this sort of confined space in the metaverse, building game mechanics together, role-playing together, minting new NFTs together and doing it every week for, you know, not because they're being paid, just because they loved it and they're passionate about it and they wanted to be together. Like it, it just sort of struck us that... The metaverse is only going to scale with small rooms and small, really engaged communities building subculture. And the mechanics we need—we we need game mechanics. We need all the sort everything we've learned from AAA games. We need fun first. We need to bury the sort of complexity of blockchain, but amplify the fun of it. But more than all of that, we have to give people the the right tools to build new cultures. Um, and that's something that Vector and I—that was the moment when for us. Broadside and Dazzle Ship went from fun side project to we have to stop everything else we're doing and we have to focus on this because this is really important. And and we believe that scaling the metaverse is, is a fundamentally important thing. You know, scaling it the right way, building the right rooms, the right dance floors is something that, that we both care a lot about. So, yeah, it was... It was this passion project that just turned into something we we couldn't not do full time. Mm,
0: it's really exciting. Um, uh, and I, I want to just tap into culture for a minute because you gave a talk mm. on how culture happens. Uh, I'm curious, you know, a how how you stay current with pop culture and and like what are the sectors of culture that you're most paying attention to as your barometers of uh, of what's interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I think the thing that I try and pay the most attention to now is that when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh yeah, you're 44 now. So you're not going to, if you're on the cutting edge of culture, something's gone wrong with culture. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I definitely pay pay attention And there's There's so much now, like um, so many, there's so many types of music and there's so many subcultures um, and they don't get to incubate in the same way anymore. So things have really changed with culture. Like if you go back to, um some of the sort of most um world-changing subcultures that we've seen um in the last you know last 50 years if you look at things like it's always a small group of people doing something they're passionate about not for money not because they think anyone cares but just to spark creativity and imagination in the people immediately around them like if you look at punk rock started at cbgb with bands like television and the ramones playing guitars very badly, like two, three chords, no more, cutting their hair themselves in in like crazy ways to look like they'd cut it themselves, customizing clothes themselves. And the subtext, the message of that was DIY culture. Mm. Uh, and I think like William Gibson said, like subcultures are kind of where society goes to dream. Um, it's where we go and do kind of social R uh, and D. And that, you know, we've seen that again and again, like up the street from CBGB, There was a club called The Loft. This guy, David Mancuso, used to DJ there. Um, The type of music he would play um, was what we ended up calling disco. But that was the first time you had people of all ethnicities and sexualities and genders together on the same dance floor. And David was very, very, um, David was a friend and and a mentor. And he was very, very focused on the idea that these people are all my friends. They need to feel safe and they need to understand that we are all the same. And that idea spread directly from what he was doing into disco, into house, to garage. And you can trace that that subtext of dance music everywhere from the Berlin Love Parade to the Electric Daisy Carnival. It's an idea that really, really spread. And, and, you know, Cool Herc in the Bronx took the disco records that grew out what David was doing, cut them up and played them together in a different way and turned DIY culture into remix culture, which, you know, changed the world forever. And we're still struggling With that idea now in the form of ai you know who gets to do what and change what and own what um and so you see it again and again like you know every every weekend somebody plays a a record or does something weird or wears their clothes in a different way and you know it it doesn't usually amount to anything but every so often it does and i think that the metaverse is going to work in the same way and that's that's really what we set up dazzle ship to do is let's create spaces where like, I don't know what the cool new subculture is going to be. Um, I, I probably shouldn't know. It probably shouldn't start with, with me, a 44-year-old living in Montclair, New Jersey, um, who's, you know, done tech companies. That's not how this thing starts usually. Um, but I know something about the mechanics of all this. And so thinking about how do we create these blank canvases? How do we create spaces where these things can actually grow? Um, and, and so that's really what we're sort of focusing on.
0: So exciting! In our final few moments, um, what what are you most excited about that you're building, or uh, most excited about with the the metaverse in general?
1: You know, the, when I look at the metaverse right now, I feel like we have a jar of a jar of jelly, a jar of peanut butter, and some bread, and no one's quite figured out the peanut butter jelly sandwich yet. Like all of the building blocks are there. You can have. Tens of thousands of concurrents in one space um, without sharding into lots of different spaces, like that is finally possible. You have back-end tech, like what Improbable is building. Um, you have amazing live op services. You have all these layers of tech, um, which we've only just got to. Um, and, and very much that includes AI and NFTs and all these ways that you can suddenly create faster. And you can bootstrap something you're doing and attach provenance to to the things that you create with blockchain um you have all these things working together you have you know gaming about to hit this inflection point um where we don't have AAA games we have AAA platforms and people are building game social games like our communitys already built a broadside game on Roblox, which is a ton of fun and you know just the community built that for the love of the project and you see you see this happening a lot so I think what we're seeing is this, you know, this convergence of, of tech that's about to unleash all these new subcultures. Broadside is definitely one of the sort of very, very early metaverse communities. Um, but I think we're gonna see a lot more, like once people start to put these building blocks together on the back end, which is very much what, we, what we're focused on at Dazzle Ship, um, new things will grow. And so I, I'm just really excited to see what the the generation coming up next does with these new platforms.
0: Incredible. Matt, where can people go to connect with you and to learn more about everything that you're building at Dazzle Ship and with Broadside?
1: Yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter. That's the best place to start, Broadside NFT. Um, And we've got a ton of links there to our metaverse space, to our Roblox game, to the Broadside story book that you can read. Um, Everything everything is there.
0: Well, and I have to say that... uh, Age is just a number because you are by far one of the coolest and most tapped into culture people that I've ever met. So uh, I, I look forward to hopefully enjoying a tea with you in New Jersey or New York City at some point in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Crypto Cafe.
1: I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, Randy.
0: That was Matt Mason of Dazzleship. Just a wealth of knowledge on uh, how culture happens, how we will be participating in culture in the future with the metaverse and Web3. Definitely check out everything that they're building at Dazzleship and with Broadside. Thanks so much for joining in the Crypto Cafe today. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg. And uh, please listen to any of our uh, former episodes that we've had. We've had some incredible guests all on the cutting edge of Web3 nfts crypto and metaverse and will continue to bring on the best and brightest thought leaders in the space thanks for joining us today talk to you next week